Petersfield's Shine Radio. Hello, I'm Claire Venice. And I'm Harrison RB. We're revisiting and reminiscing in the best of 2022 Peapod. Welcome to the Peapod. As we come to the end of 2022, Claire and Joff have chosen some of their favourite Peapod moments of the year. We've recorded at some amazing locations in the Petersphere and met so many wonderful people, it was tricky to choose just five interviews. But here they are, and we hope you enjoy them too. Susie has also selected one of her favourite wild walks from a year ago. And we end this week's special Peapod with some of our bloopers from the year for our embarrassment and hopefully your enjoyment. If you love Petersfield... I love the square. The hangers. The open-air swimming pool. Lots of fun shops. Then the Peapod loves you. It's just a nice... Everything Petersfield is in the Peapod with Claire Venice and Joff Lacey. Well, hello, Harrison. How are you? Hi, Claire. I'm good, thank you. This is a first. Even though we've been working together now for three years, I've presented with Joff before, but I haven't had the pleasure of uh, presenting with you, and I imagine it's going to be a much easier ride. Oh, gosh, Harrison, Um, well, I hope so. (laughs) Only joking, mate. Big shoes to fill. We should explain that, that Joff is with us in spirit, um, but he's just not very well. Get well soon, Joff. Yeah, hope you feel better soon, Joff. We'll be back together in 2023. Gosh, that sounds strange, doesn't it, Harrison? Oh, doesn't it just? Where's the time gone? <laughs> yeah, well, actually, putting the script together for this special Peapod, the best of 2022, you know, it's been amazing looking back over the Peapods that we've recorded this year and the places we've been to and the people we've met. You know, starting off with some of the villages around our area, which was a wonderful suggestion by Noni Needs. Um, met some great people in the Petersphere area um, to lots of amateur dramatics, to various different sports and festivals. Um, you know, it's been it's been a really eclectic mix. It has, and it's amazing that you know it feels like this last these last twelve months have flown by. But at the same time, everything we've done and everything that's happened in Petersfield um, doesn't seem possible to have happened in a single calendar year because it's just been so busy. I think we may have become accustomed to sort of the two years before that were obviously not a lot happening and, and different for reasons we don't need to go into. But this year, all those events returning and some new ones as well, plus of course some one-off celebrations. Uh, including uh, one that will never happen again, I think, in, in most of our lifetimes, um, celebrating the Platinum Jubilee uh, on Saturday the 4th of June at the Avenue Pavilion as part of the uh, long bank holiday weekend. It was the uh, Platinum Jubilee fate, and we turned Shine Radio into a 50s station, playing music from the likes of Adam Faith, Bill Haley, Elvis, of course, and many more. Kieran Cheeseman, Shine Radio's Kieran Cheeseman, uh, was there looking exactly like Elvis, which was just fantastic. And Joff, actually, who we wish was with us on this program right now um came in his union jack outfit which I, I know he enjoyed wearing on the day for the occasion but i'm sure he wears all year round and and, and at various times i'm sure it's, it's one of his favorites um but it was uh yeah really really great atmosphere we spoke to so many local people you know stall holders scattered around the uh, recreation ground at the avenue pavilion and it was all about giving something back to long established members of our community who've contributed so much to it over the years it's it's just one of the events that's taken place this year and it, it just sums up why you make it shine, you listening now, because if it wasn't for your events and, as I say, your voices and stories, then Shine Radio would have absolutely nothing to do. Uh, there would be no point to it. And uh, it is thanks to you that we were crowned uh, best digital community radio station of the year this year. So um, thank you. You said it all, you know, when it, it's it's really the voices of the people of the area that we live in, you know, that, that make Shine Radio shine. And that's what's been so tremendous this year about having the opportunity through the Peapod to go to these incredible events and, and meet all these lovely people. And there's been some really interesting events for the first time this year. I mean, obviously there was the Jubilee, which was was so special. There was the church's um, tercentenary. Uh, we went to a pollinator day. There was a first ever eco fair, the first walking festival. There's been some amazing events that have happened in our area. Uh, I think we live in quite a special place, actually, Harrison, and and really look forward to to what we can find out and, and be a part of next year. And we've loved hearing from you this year. If you'd like us to record a Peapod at an event or a specific location next year, please get in touch. You can call us on 01730 or email team at shineradio.uk. The P stands for Petersfield. It's like the best town ever. <laughs> the Peapod. 
Now, coming up, we get our walking boots on as we traipse back to this year's inaugural Petersfield Walking Festival. But first, we loved visiting some of the villages in the Petersphere at the beginning of the year and particularly enjoyed meeting Mari Rennie from Rogate. Sitting on the Hampshire and West Sussex border, Rogate lies midway between Petersfield and Midhurst, comprising a church, primary school and village shop. Rogate also boasts an annual summer fete, the history of which dates back to 1268. Many of Rogate's buildings in the centre of the village date back to Tudor times and in the 16th century Rogate was a major play in the Sussex iron industry. To tell us more about the history of the village we're delighted to welcome Mari Rennie to the Peapod. Hello Mari, how are you? Oh good afternoon, thank you for having me. Wow, thank you for coming along. So tell us a little bit about Rogate. Well I think one of the things is that Rogate's in a very interesting position. It's the heart of the Western Weald. It lies just above the Rother and the marshland and then the greensand hills and the deep ravine of Harting Coombe, where iron ore was found in the clay. Rogate probably developed as a medieval iron industry settlement, about 1300. It's not in the Doomsday Book like the neighbouring Saxon villages of Stedham and Chithurst. The Weald was the industrial heart of medieval England, producing the armaments for the wars with France and Spain. This is a nice thought. Perhaps the cannons that sank the Armada came from the iron furnaces near Rogate. With the discovery of coke, of course, the iron industry moved to the coalfields of northern England and Rogate, like the rest of the area, became a simple farming community. The Church of St. Bartholomew dates from about 1150 but was virtually rebuilt by the Victorians. An annual fete and flower show for many years took place near St Bartholomew's Day. That was the point of it. There was a fair, a medieval fair. The White Horse pub dates from about 1550, but sadly it closed in 2017. Attempts have been made to buy it, but Harvey's have refused to sell at the prices offered. And very sadly, this listed building in the heart of the village is left deteriorating. There are two beautiful 17th century stone bridges over the Rother. From 1860 to 1960, there was a railway. A school from the 1860s, parish council from 1894, a choral society from 1908, we recently celebrated its centenary, and of course the post office and at one time various shops. The village is fortunate still to retain its post office and shop. A village hall was built in 1924, and from the 1950s, new housing was built at Parsonage. It became part of the South Downs National Park in 2011. Historic indecision about its route has meant there is no bypass, and the centre of the village carries heavy traffic. But away from the traffic, Rogate has the banks of the Rother, beautiful views, woodlands, walks, and varied countryside wild daffodils, bluebells and the Terrick Lupin Field. That Lupin Field is beautiful as well. It's absolutely stunning, Mari. Thank you for that piece of history. How long have you been in the village yourself? Well, I came here in 1973, but, I mean, there's not a lot of employment here, so I've been in America and I've been in London for work and then come back. And what's the one thing you, you love about Rogate? I just think its environment is lovely, the woodlands and the natural life that's everywhere, and the river is beautiful. There's a lovely walk down to something called Black Bridge, and it's really beautiful. I used to take my dogs down there, and they'd swim and paddle, and my children at one point. (laughs) Well, it is a lovely spot, and you've been instrumental in helping set up this Peapod. Thank you very much for getting lovely villagers together. Thank you. On an extremely hot day in July, the Heath played host to the first eco-fair, organised by Petersfield Climate Action Network, known as PECAN for short. Amongst lots of eco-warriors and storeholders, we spoke to PECAN representative Greg Ford. We're a community group. We're a climate action network, as the, as the name implies, and our job is to help the community to decarbonise as quickly as possible. And uh, our area focuses Petersfield and the surrounding villages, and also protect nature. 
Now, how long has PCAN been going for? About a year and a half. We set up during the lockdown and we were registered in December 2020. And it really grew out of uh, all of these discussions around about uh, what we can do about climate change before then. And uh, so everything took place over Zoom during those months. And uh, it's, uh, it's just grown and grown. I was going to say, and how's the response been to PCAN in our area? Well, it's, um, it's growing steadily. We've got about 500 people on our mailing list uh, so far. And we've got a, a few volunteers who are very active. And we're, we're lucky to have uh, about 10 trustees uh, who are very skilled. And we've got a small staff uh, who are very, very capable as well. But we really need more people. There's so much stuff that we want to do. We've got this long list of projects from uh, fruit trees to helping people renovate their houses, uh, educating people, uh, organising social functions, going into talk with councils and schools. Um, there's so much that can be done. And of course, it all depends on having people with time and enthusiasm who want to do it. So if anybody who's listening to this is interested in getting stuck in, come and talk to us and uh, we've probably got a, a fun project for you. Now, this is the first ever Petersfield Eco Fair. Was this something that you always wanted to do at PECAN, to get everyone together to, to talk about things that people can do, well, to talk about climate action and what we can do? We've been very inspired by some of the other climate action networks that are around. There's one in ACAN, in Alton, sorry, called ACAN, which has been around for a while and they're very successful. Uh, we've taken some inspiration from them and there are other community groups, but there wasn't really anything in Petersfield. And, um, I mean, the, the journey is quite interesting because we, we were all meeting in the pub as uh, originally um, uh, as sort of climate activists wondering oh why isn't more being done and wringing our hands and why isn't the government doing more and then we thought okay let's it's time for action so that's what PCAN is about it's an action network and, and we want to we want to see more people involved and we want to help people on their journey because not everybody is born a climate activist you know in my own case probably five years ago I was busy flying all over the place and living in a house with a big gas boiler and driving my one of my two petrol cars and generally doing all the things we're not supposed to do. But over time you read about it and you, you watch TV programmes and, and sort of go along that curve and, uh, and start to realise bit by bit you can chip away at, uh, at, one, at your own carbon footprint. And I think if we can help other people to do the same, then we'll be doing our job. I think that's the thing, isn't it? You've just said it. it it's almost too big to try and make those changes all at once. It feels like we all want to do something, but how do we start? And, and some of it's quite expensive to do as well. So what sort of, what suggestions have you got that people could do just to begin their, their journey to be a bit more eco-friendly? Yeah, that's a great question. The, uh, we, we're running um, a campaign called the One Ton Campaign. And if you have a look at the PCAN website, which is petersfieldcan.org, then there's a one ton challenge uh, heading on, on the menu and a few tips in there about things that people can do. So starting with the, the big goal, which is to halve our, car, our carbon emissions by 2030 from the 2019 baseline, each family, if each family just cuts one ton a year from their current activities, by 2030 we'll be on track. So the next question is, okay, what's a ton of carbon? How do I cut that up? And um, it's actually not as hard as you think. So there are things, for example, that you might be doing anyway. Uh, and the, you know, next time your car needs to be replaced, get a lower emission vehicle um, or a bicycle or an e-bike and uh, maybe uh, drive a bit less petrol. That will save a ton or more. And uh, next time the boiler conks out, then uh, you can replace it with a heat pump and that will save more than a ton, maybe two tons or more, depending on your house. Uh, there are things such as uh, with your diet, uh, if you just by moving on to uh, a meat-free diet for two or three days a week uh, would uh, save uh, a tonne from the average household, as well as making people healthier. So there are lots of things of that sort, and buying a bit less brand new stuff that often goes straight into landfill. You know, that feeling you get uh, a few days after Christmas and you look around and go, oh my goodness, what have we done? Um, actually being a bit more conscious about that and engaging in um, uh, the uh, reuse economy uh, we run for example a Christmas present exchange every Christmas and we've got a toy exchange coming up quite soon um, if people are interested to swap toys from their children they can do that rather than buying new ones and the old ones being thrown into landfill. So it's lots of small changes and they add up. And I think that the key message is not to be overwhelmed by it. It's a big change, but we, we do it bit by bit. And we're not alone. Everybody's involved. There's a load of support networks and we'll, we'll get there.
Sounds very good advice. Thank you so much. It's been great to talk to you. And just, just lastly, what are you hoping that the Eco Fair is going to give to the people of Petersfield? I hope that after this Eco Fair, there'll be enough people who've visited and felt inspired by what they've seen that they'll go home and they'll talk a little bit about what they've seen and what they've learned with their friends and their neighbours. Uh, they'll maybe make one or two small changes. I hope a couple of people will come and join us as volunteers and lead some projects. We've got some really fun stuff to, that we'd like to, to develop. Um, and uh, the other thing, actually, that really needs to be mentioned is that the councils in our area, the parish councils, the town council, the district council and the county council, are now much more engaged on climate change than they were before and they need to see that people care about it and I think seeing this turnout, seeing how many stalls there are here and how much enthusiasm and you know, the best thing of all is hearing the councillors, some of whom a couple of years ago were frankly poo-pooing all of this, are now on the same journey that I've been on and the rest of us have been on and we need the councillors on board because this is not something that individuals can do on their own, it's not just about uh, a bit of education and a bit of individual behaviour change and the market will take care of it. We need government, we need local government, we need national government and we need individuals, everybody pulling in the same direction and, and that's starting to happen so I hope that there'll be a lasting uh, footprint if you like from this eco fair on the local government. Greg, lovely to talk to you. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Susie has kept on wild walking with her trusty companion Rain throughout 2022. Here's one of her favourite wild walks from a year ago. I think you can possibly hear the road as a background to this. It's everything has reverted absolutely to normal now. Um, and it's really busy. So where am I? Oh, right, so there's a clue. I'm surrounded by lots and lots of striplings. You can hear some voices and there are men working on them. If you give up, I have been dropped off at Durley Marsh Farm where there are hundreds of Christmas trees. And um, Rain and I are walking through and we've just reached the bit where Hilliers have got their nursery of just the most, well, in the autumn, beautiful trees of many colours, um, many coloured leaves, obviously. Uh, but now they're very bare and all you can see are the long, long poles that support them. But Santa's elms are very busy, but they're not very Christmassy. So... Here we are, another week, another week closer to Christmas. Richard and I have vowed that we are going to do the Icelandic thing of buying each other books. I think there's too much tat in the world, particularly given the environment and so on, and I know that sounds horribly Scrooge-like, um, but I don't mean it like that. I just think that why shouldn't we give a gift to the planet as well as to each other and just be nice and have a nice time and be loving and kind. So there you are, that's probably nauseating. So I'm looking at where we've had lots of rain. So the sandy soil here has just gone into great beaches. Um, oh, there's more work going on here. Sort of, I can't quite see what they're doing at the moment, but these are trees that still have a lot of leaf on them. They're not conifers. Um, and I'm just alongside what obviously used to be the original hedgerow, I think, just a line of trees randomly still in place with a brick wall the other side of it and all the huge wheels of the irrigation uh, pipe, I suppose, um, except it's rubber, so it's all coiled up now. But the hoses that are used, which seems a bit perverse, really, when I'm looking at lakes and mud at the moment but there are oh there are at least half a dozen people working there and that's a digger so obviously they're getting ready to put more saplings in the word I should have used not striplings um, and that's hopeful for all our future isn't it because uh, well I don't know I've paused because there's this other controversy about tree planting versus moss and great bogs that are actually better for carbon capture. But just as a, a promise for the future, I think building 
an orchard or something like that is wonderful. Come away from that car, there are no egg sandwiches, I promise you. But that reminded me of something. Uh, oh, I know, a book. So, book, link, book, Richard and I, Iceland. Um, and reading, like on their Christmas Eve. A book I really want to have is about um, how there's hope in the darkest place. And there's five, I think they're called the Five Sisters, just outside Edinburgh. And they're actually, good girl to wait, they're actually old oil shale heaps. Good. Um, And now the abundant wildlife there is better than on Ben Nevis. And there's every different kind of plant. And the author of this book, I'm sorry I don't remember it, try apply to Talking Books, because I will if I get it, talk about it there. The author has identified 12 places in Britain where all seemed lost. It was the worst kind of man-made, but nature has come storming back in again. So the horrible conclusion of this is actually man needs to vanish and then uh, Gaia will take over. So here's my usual cheery thought. But, you know, I am cheery because the best of us is love. And I leave you with that thought. Coming up, we talk antiques and find a warm space. But first, just before our summer break, we met with Malinka van der Howe, who came up with the idea of Petersfield's very first walking festival, held in August. Why set up a walking festival? That's a very good question. (laughs) So it it all started actually with with COVID. Um, I'd been living overseas and uh, got thrown back here by the pandemic because of uh, family commitments. And um, in fact, I was stuck at home with three late teens. Um, My husband was still overseas. And so I just needed to escape for my sanity. Um, And so just took to the, the countryside and um, just started exploring. I've always loved maps and um, I did set myself a little bit of a challenge to try and walk every footpath in the locality and just um, discovered, you know, that actually this area was a lot more beautiful and uh, inspiring than I ever thought. And um, and then talking to friends who've lived here all their lives, uh, realised that I probably actually knew the countryside better than they did and I'd only been back in the country for a short while because you quite often don't really investigate what's under your nose Um, so and then I just had a a chance discovery uh, of the Alton Walking Festival and delved a little deeper and discovered it's actually one of the longest running walking festivals in the country they've been going at least 10 years Um, they run their walking festival for the whole month of May I think this year they had 120 walks on their programme during May. Uh, admittedly, some of them are, are repeated over the course of the month. Anyway, so I started uh, picking their brains and uh, they were very amenable to having their brains picked um, and just started to sort of muse on it a little bit and uh, rather cheekily thought, well, anything Alton can do, Petersfield could do possibly better. We are in the South Downs National Park after all. Now, I I walk with a couple of friends most Sundays and I went for a walk this weekend actually and actually took a wrong turning the Kiwi Park and ended up doing an extra two miles. Please tell me you've done something like that. Funnily enough, (laughs) the only place locally that I have ever got lost was in the Kiwi Park. Thank you, Malinka. That makes me feel a lot better. (laughs) And actually, I did a a navigation and, well, actually, it's a walk leader course, and um, it was based at Queen Elizabeth Country Park. And I I did rather smugly feel that uh, I was on home territory and I'd kind of know where I was going until I had that realisation that that was the only place I'd got lost. (laughs) But, as I say, whenever we go, you can go literally no more than four miles out of Petersfield and feel that feel like you've gone a really long way if you do a big loop I think we're, we're very lucky where we live don't we incredibly lucky um I per- I mean the South Downs if you were to ask somebody that that doesn't live in this area what you know where they think the South Downs are and what is iconic about it they will op- usually talk about the the White Cliffs Seven Sisters you know it's it's this more scenery more out east and I feel that uh, the Western End, we get slightly shortchanged and overlooked. I think it's partly because the A3 and the train line go straight on through. 
um, and you've got to have a reason really to get off in Petersfield and um, I personally think we've got way more to offer we've we've almost got a blank canvas for every day of the week we've got the downs but we're also on the edge of the weald uh, we've got the chalk streams of the like the Meon um, and the, you know the, that river valley we have got the beautiful heathlands uh, that South Downs managed through the Heathlands Reunited programme. Um, we've got the hangars, um, you know, the green sand ridges around here. Uh, and we're not also that far from the coast. So, you know, yeah, I, I think we, we top the bill. Yeah, if, you, if you drove, you're five minutes from Butser Hill, Harting Hill, Stoner Hill. You, there, there's just so much to offer. Now, there are 47 walks in this year's very first walking festival. What kind of walks have you, have you organised? Well, we've tried to be as inclusive as possible. So um, we have got long, medium, short, <laughs> to keep it simple. We have uh, linear and circular. So the linear ones, we try to use um, some public transport. So the first walk that I'm leading is leaving from the station. We're taking the train down to Rowlands Castle and walking back. We've got uh, family-friendly walks. Um, so we have the Ambling Path uh, on Instagram, who specialise in family-friendly walks. Uh, they're leading two, one jointly with Sky Park Farms. We've tried to team up with some local attractions and businesses. Obviously, pubs, um, vineyard. Uh, we've got nature walks. Um, we've got a great one uh, up on Nor Hill. We've, we're teaming up with South Downs National Park to promote the, the heathlands because August is when the heathlands are at their best. Um, oh, and we've even got... Um, I have managed to get the disabled ramblers of the UK to come and um, do, I, I suppose, more of a promotional walk um, in order to just put the idea in people's heads that it, it's possible because obviously you do need the right kit um, however that said they they very much welcome normal walkers to join them because uh, you know it's much easier if somebody opens a gate for them uh, what have I forgotten wellness walks we've got um, lots for people to you know get started on walking um, and to yeah put, put that first step one after the other and I believe you've convinced John Walker to host a walk i have indeed he, he doesn't get articles in the newspaper for free <laughs> there's payback <laughs> not entirely sure i trusted him to do a longer walk than he's doing but uh... where's he walking then i think it's the harrow okay smart move <laughs> one way yeah. yeah taxi's back rolling home <laughs> i mean this is a huge a huge undertaking. Did you expect it to be as big as it's become when you first set out? No, not at all. My first impression of uh, Petersfield's inaugural walking festival was going to be a, a long weekend. Three, maybe four days at a push. Um, maybe ten or twelve walks. But the problem was I just kept on meeting more people and they had more and more ideas. And in fact, I had to stop myself at 47. I could have quite easily got rather carried away and put more on it. But um, yeah, so I think maybe for future walking festivals, we might have to scale back a little bit. <laughs> and has the response been good then for the various walks that you've organised? Yes, it's been terrific. In fact, as I was uh, waiting here, uh, I just noticed that the 400th booking has uh, just come in. So um, that's fantastic. And I believe 45 of them are free. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, so, I mean, the, the reason for the walking festival is to promote the town, to, um, you know, it's a, that healthy lifestyle, um, get, get people out walking. Walking is a free activity, you know, in these times. You know, to encourage people to get out there this summer in particular with this fantastic weather. Why not, you know, make the most of what's on our doorstep? And also, as I said, to promote local businesses. It, it, the objective was not to make money. So we have been rather fortunate to have some backing. Not that the costs of uh, organising a walking festival are high because it relies entirely on volunteer walk leaders who've been absolutely terrific in coming forward. Um, but two of them, you rightly point out, yeah, there's a, a cost... 
One is uh, the wine dine and a few inclines um, <laughs> around Bordenwood because there's a lovely little vineyard that are uh, putting on a tour and tasting at the end of the walk, not before. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, and the second one is, of course, the Shine Radio um, supported walk with your own presenter, lovely Susie Wild and her dog Rain. Um, naturally, it's called a wild walk. I think it's a walk on the wild side. Um, and that's in support of the Rosemary Foundation um, in order to raise funds for that very worthwhile local charity. Uh, and whilst we haven't had this year's, have you started thinking about next year? <laughs> You're not the first to ask that question. Um, South Downs National Park raised that question on a regular basis, <laughs> to which I uh, have been saying, let me just get this one over and done with and see how I feel, how long it takes to recover. Um, I think it might be a little bit like the Eco Fair. And that, um, and especially as the walking festival, you know, the idea came from Alton, which is much like the Eco Fair too. Um, so I think the idea of doing it every two years um, to, I think, just to also make people, you know, look forward to it um, and, and to give us a little bit of time off and some more time to sort of re-engineer it I think we need innovation and ideas and you need time to think of those well I understand so. there's a there's a running walk as well this year is that right there is are you looking at the program I have I had a little peep not that I want to run it Joff <laughs> <laughs> that one is also at 0500 in the morning well 0515 I got, I got talked into that by my co-conspirator uh, Katrina Coburn of Energise South Downs and Pecan um, because I'm also a founding member of uh, Energise South Dance. And so we decided that we need to put our, our feet where our mouth is. Because uh, what better way to demonstrate that you're energising the South Downs than by getting up at 5.15 and running up shoulder of mutton. <laughs> is that what it is? Oh my goodness. <laughs> it is. To the poet's stone. Wow. That's, that's a challenge. Now, I, I, that's great. I've... Well, I'm leading the walk. Oh, okay. Katrina's doing the run. Well, yeah. yeah, I can walk up it. But I've seen actually people running all the way along with the, they got the, the running poles. And it's quite steep to go down the path like that. I, I can't think of anything worse myself. Well, I imagine first thing in the morning must be lovely. Oh, yes. If it's a lovely, if it's a nice day. We are doing it for the sunrise. Mm. And uh, we're teaming up with a local uh, yoga instructor, Chadney. And uh, she's going to meet us up at the Poet Stone and uh, lead us on a sun salutation. Um, and bring some refreshment. So um, sounds amazing. Well, sounds it's amazing. certainly well going done. to kickstart a few people's days. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you so much. How if someone wants to book? Because ideally, you prefer people to book rather than just turn up to do the walks. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. All walks need to be booked, um, largely because of our insurance numbers are capped. So we need to keep a check on on numbers. We need to. Well, the walk leaders need to. No, I mean, they, they've set numbers for each of their walks based on safety, really, how many people they feel they can safely lead. So some of the walks about town have small numbers because it's about how many people you can get on a pavement without, you know, blocking it and crossing roads and what have you. So, yes, uh, I'm afraid everybody needs to book. And that is through the website, which is uh, peacefieldwalkingfestival.co.uk. You just uh, go to the walks page, find a walk that hopefully tickles your fancy and uh, click the register button. Sounds great. Malinka, best of luck with this year's walking festival. We look forward to hearing how it's gone. Well, please pray for some sun. I'm, I'm, I'm rather concerned at this uh, dry spell we're having, having at the moment. Uh, the deluge is going to come in August. <laughs> Malinka, thank you very much. The P stands for Petersfield. It's a lovely area, lovely people, lovely atmosphere. The Peapod. The first Peapod back from our summer holes saw us at the Petersfield Festival Hall for the Antiques Fair. We spoke to organiser Caroline Penman. Hello. Good to see you all. Thank you very much for having us. Now, the 50th anniversary, how long have you been involved? Well, I've been involved since just before the new century... Um, I think it was 1997 I took over and um, we've been trying to make it better and bigger ever since. So did you have a break for Covid? Oh yes, didn't everyone? Yes. Two years. Right, so this is the first one in two years, is it? No, it's the second. Oh, we right, okay. had our first one in, uh, since Covid on, in March. 
And how was that? It was really exciting, surprising how many people just came rushing in and, oh, so glad you're back. That's We're really habit good. formed. <laughs> oh, that's really good to hear. So since you've taken over the reins, Caroline, how has the Antiques Fair here built and grown? Well, it was always a mixture of, of quite decorative but, but lesser things and some better things. And we've been getting better and better. So we're now up with the, the London fairs, really. And do you have dealers coming to you? They come to me. Right. It's just a case of getting the right mix of, of the people together so that there's a balance of jewellery versus silver versus furniture, whatever. How long have you been involved with antiques? Oh, God, I don't know. <laughs> um, 1960-something I started. And what, what attracted you to that line of business? I was brought up in a modern home. My parents then moved when I was nine to an old house and they went looking for old furniture for it. And I realised I, as a nine-year-old, could absorb and remember the important things that older people couldn't. And so I thought I was on a winner, so I stuck with it. And do you have a specialist subject you get involved with, or is it all manners of antiques? I started with glass, and then I moved to furniture, and you gradually take them all in. Now, has the interest in antiques increased since TV programmes such as Bargain Hunt and... and David Dickinson's Real Real Deal. All those kind of (laughs) programmes, since they've become popular as well. Yes, it it has certainly brought the popularity upwards, but the acquisition of good antiques is rather more rarefied. Um, People are very, very pleased that they've got something wonderful but then they don't want to sell it and they don't want to buy any more. Now, that's no help to a dealer whatsoever. So we're a bit stuck there. Um, But you'd be surprised how many people just cultivate that knowledge and and really enjoy antiques the way they should do. Are you finding with this influx of TV programmes that people are looking for the the monetary side of things and what they can get out of it rather than the appreciation of... The actual antique. I think it's a, a subtle mixture of the two. The money does have an important um, impact, but just to be able to appreciate how well things were made is very important. So what's the most exciting antique you've come across in your career? Oh, God, in my career. <laughs> mm. Or is there one that particularly stands out for you? Well, one of the first important buy I made was um, a nice little silver child's rattle that nobody knew what it was. It was in a jumble sale and I bought it for sixpence. I sold it for £12. Now it's worth about £300. (laughs) (laughs) But since then, they all blur into some sort of mix, really. It's just the joy of being able to buy and sell at profit. And does your favourite era change, or does that tend to stay the same? Oh, I think you probably do stick to one era, um, and it may evolve earlier or later, but but one era and one uh, discipline of antiques, people sort of have their specialisation. Is there any advice you could give someone who is looking to purchase antiques for maybe the first time? Is there anything particular they need to look out for or be aware of? For the first time, build up knowledge. Knowledge is power and profitability. And just whatever you think is going to go in your home, buy it for going in your home to suit your needs. Just try and buy the best quality you can just look at it and really decide how good it is and pay accordingly. And are there still bargains out there at car boot sales and things like that? Oh gosh, yes. Yeah. Plenty. <laughs> so All what, the time. What should I look, look out for if I decide change a career and I'm going to start trawling the car boot sales? Anything and everything. You've got to be diversified. Do you still do that yourself? Do you still keep an eye out for something that could catch you? I think I'm a bit too old, really. (laughs) (laughs) Plodding about in fields is not not for the upper 70s. (laughs) And this is day two of this 
this Antiques Fair. How's it gone so far? I've been very gratified. I thought people might be rather reticent because are they going to need it for electricity this Mm. this autumn or whatever, but they seem to have really gone for it in a big way. Quite a few of our dealers have actually said they've had their best fare ever. Right. Which is really surprising. There is still money around, thank you, God. (laughs) But do you think that could become, as we move into autumn and winter, a cost-of-living crisis? Could that hit in antiques? I think the ones who are feeling the pinch will feel the pinch more. And the ones who really can afford good antiques will still afford good antiques. So it's good investment. And, and this fair happens twice a year, doesn't it? So you're also here at the Festival Hall in March, is that That's correct? right, March yes. the 3rd to 5th next year. So come and see us. Put that in your diary. <laughs> Caroline, it's been lovely to meet you and um, talk to you a bit more about what goes on here at the fair. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. And finally, we recently visited our local library, not to renew our books, but to find out more about this fabulous, versatile community space. Joining us now is area manager Liz Well. Hello, Liz. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you very much for allowing us to come into the library today. Just tell us what your role is. So I'm an area manager, so I work with a team of uh, library managers who cover the east of Hampshire. So all the libraries in the East Hants district and all the libraries in the Haven Borough district. Um, So we work as a team to ensure that libraries are open and um, providing advice, information to people. And then I get involved in quite a lot of more strategic sort of level projects. So partly the Warm Welcome initiative, uh, as well as I also have more of a, a leaning towards activities for children and families as well. So Bookstart, uh, the HAF programme, Summer Reading Challenge, all of those things. There is a lot offered at libraries, isn't there? Probably more than we would think about on a daily basis. You mentioned the Warm Spaces initiative. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Because that's new, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's, it's, I think it's, it's a, a county council and a library response to the cost of living crisis. Everybody is concerned about keeping warm over the winter and, and uh, finding support if, if people need, need that in their lives. So libraries have always been a warm and welcome space but we're just kind of reminding people a bit more that we're here you know we have a really great network of libraries we have 40 libraries across the county um, we have uh, we are open a lot of hours between all of those libraries and obviously we have a heating and lighting space for people to sit you know you you can come in and you can sit and browse you can read an, a newspaper you can read a magazine a book obviously you can use the free wi-fi the free internet access so that and we have lots of groups and activities so we're just kind of badging all of that together and just you know reminding everybody that libraries are there and are you finding that people are taking advantage of that offer well, yes, but I think we haven't really hit... Uh, we, we haven't actually been that cold yet, have we? No, that's so we've, you know, I think at the moment, uh, obviously we have all our regular customers, but we have new people coming in, um, you know, to see, to see what's on offer. And we've been involved, um, the libraries, with the... There's been some a household support grants, and through that we've bid for warm bags and food vouchers. So we have just had some... Um, uh, money from that and so we've been giving out warm bags to to customers who you know who will who need them and who will find them useful and also food vouchers to to support people that tranche of money is sort of we've we've it was so successful we've used it um you know we've we've given out what we had but we're hoping that we'll be able to bid for some more in the future so that's something a bit different that we've been doing and it feels like libraries are coming back to the community because i believe uh, barclays bank 
who've just recently closed in Petersfield have started to use this branch yep. of the, this library yep. three times a week to be there yeah. for our for their customers. That's right, yes. So we've got Barclays Bank based here and we have other partners in the building as well. So we have the Citizens Advice who are based here. We have PCAD, the Petersfield Climate Alliance group. Um, and then other libraries, yes, have, have other groups. Barclays are also using Havant Library. They're using Farnborough Library. So libraries are really seen as a space, an accessible and open space for people to come to. Um, you know, everybody's welcome. It's a safe space to be. And another initiative that is starting on Monday, the 14th of November, is the Chatabout scheme. Can you tell us a bit more about that, please? Yeah, so that's an initiative. Um, for the, so we've been working with our colleagues in public health. Uh, we're very aware that people become isolated, and uh, and especially now, you know, as we get into the winter more. So we've started um, an, another group. So it's really just a, a, a space for people to come. Um, in some places, they'll be able to have a cup of tea. Um, and it's really, there'll be someone there to just sit and have a chat. So, and that we might, we may well invite partners to that as well. So if there's extra support that people need, but we've started it, as as you said, it's going to start here on Monday. Um, It's already running in Waterlooville Library um, and Hailing Island Library. So, and in Waterlooville, we've just had some really great feedback. You know, we had somebody who put a comment on our Facebook page. She said she came to the library, she was welcomed into this little group um, and she missed her bus because she was having such a great time. So she, you know, it's, it's just been, you know, it shows that people do want somewhere to just come and, and just connect with people. And is that going to be a weekly basis yeah. thing here? Yeah, okay. so it'll be every week, yeah, alongside quite a lot of other groups that we already run. And how do you see libraries changing in the future? Is this, is this now the future to be a hub? for all things within the community. Yeah, I think it's very much our ambition to, uh, to, to welcome more partners into our buildings and to share our space. You know, libraries are a great community asset. You know, we have a lot of public buildings across the county and we want them to be vibrant, welcoming spaces. We want people to come and use them. And obviously our core traditional offer is still seen as books, but we, we want people... To, to some people will think, well, libraries aren't for me because I, I don't really like reading or I don't have time. But there's lots of other things that we do. So, you know, from, you know, rhyme time for babies, baby play, story time, summer reading challenge, that all of those things really support children and families, um, you know, right up through groups who meet and knit and sew together, the chat about, play games. We have a rummy cub. Uh, games group in quite a few libraries or Scrabble, you know, so there's lots of things coming together and I think you know, working with partners we just want to expand what we do and we want people to understand that it isn't just about books and about being quiet because it definitely isn't about being quiet. So how many times do you go shh? (laughs) Like never (laughs) (laughs) I think that's, that's what a lot of people remember libraries for maybe growing up yeah. it was a little bit yeah. more of a scary place yeah. to, potentially because you couldn't make that noise exactly but, but it's, it's not you know if you come in here when rhyme time's going on it's <laughs> definitely not quiet at all <laughs> and also I think you know you say when people remember that from being a child and I think that that can put people off so they think oh I can't bring my children because they might get told off because they might run about you know, we've got great children. All libraries have got great children's spaces. So, and that's what they're there for. Liz, it's been really lovely talking to you. Thank you very much for telling us more about <laughs> what goes on in our libraries. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. <laughs> and we would just like to add that since we visited the Petersfield Library, Hampshire Library Service has been awarded the Library Service of Sanctuary Status. The award recognises libraries across the county for going the extra mile, providing support and offering a safe place to meet, learn and discover. Congratulations. And that's it for the best of 2022 Peapod. Thank you for joining us today and throughout the year. Thanks also to you if we've met and spoken this year, to John Walker, Susie Wilde and the supportive Shine Radio team. We end this week's Peapod with a selection of bloopers and to wish you a very happy new year. So from Claire and I this week and this year, bye. bye. It was very interesting talking to Donald about that. (laughs) His name was Duncan.
Don't worry. This week, Susie is adventurous on a wild walk at Langley and meets friendly walkers with good dogs. Good dog. <laughs> 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 and I played the tuba from seven, eight years. Still got it. Do you? You, you still get it out and play uh, it? And <laughs> <laughs> the tuba, yes. <laughs> And it's raining, Claire. OK, well, that's good. We just need it. so dry. Because my butt's half empty. <laughs> We're so not sending this over to you. So, Claire. <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> How old are you? Jinx. So, Claire, how's your week been? It's been quite busy. It's quite... quite, quite can't speak. I'm going to huh? cut that bit out. <laughs> Did people get up close and personal with the deer? Yeah, so... <laughs> Maybe I should rephrase it. Do people, are people... <laughs> I thought you were looking at me that yeah, I could go and do that, Claire. Or you can go online and buy them from our website, which is www.list-triangle-centre.org.uk, where you can buy tickets for all of our events on there. I'm glad you didn't ask me to say that. Cool. I need a very long bit of paper. <laughs> How much is the cheque? So the cheque is for £18,000. Um, um, no, I wish it was. Sorry, so £18,000. <laughs> what part do you think I played? Well... Ooh, did you play bottom? <laughs> I did, and I've got to say, it was lapped up. <laughs> Do you have to say that? <laughs> Joffio, Joffio, wherefore art thou? <laughs> well, I'm just here. You've got to say amongst the Christmas. Oh, am I? <laughs> <laughs> OK. Here's your iambic pentameter. Oh, yeah. A woman from Bereton whose first language... <laughs> <laughs> A woman from... It sounds like a limerick. <laughs> once was a woman from Bereton. Coming up, experimental archaeologist... Why can't I say that word? <laughs> Coming up, experimental archaeologist, Therese Cairns. 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 Coming up, experimental archaeologist... <laughs> Susie has a stunning afternoon in her wild walk this week at the Severals. But who has a cold nose? <laughs> cold, not sniffy. <laughs> Orchestra leader... Orchestra, or, orchestra, orchestra leader Helen Purchase. <laughs> we wore our Christmas jumper. Yeah, jumpers. We, jumpers. Yeah. yeah, we we shared a jumper. <laughs> the communal sunshine radio jumper. I don't like the dreary ones. So in the bleak midwinters, not one for you. No, not really. No. But I, I reckon you're more of a ding dong merrily on high. <laughs> what gave you that impression? <laughs> It's directed by Mark Gattis, making his direct theatre directorial, directorial, making his theatre directorial. Directorial. <laughs> He's making his debut as a theatre director. <laughs> I'll keep that in him. <laughs> and that's it. Oh, Thank God for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, sorry, we're trying to be serious. It doesn't come naturally. <laughs> Could you be the welcoming face of a famous Petersfield hotel, bar and coffee bar? The Old Drum is now recruiting front-of-house staff to work in its historic Chapel Street premises. If you're experienced in hotel, bar or cafe work or the hospitality industry, then the Old Drum can offer you mixed shifts with sociable hours and no late nights. You'll need to be responsible and reliable. Pay is competitive. You'll be trained in barista work. And there's a choice of full or half-time roles starting in January. Contact Maria at The Old Drum for more information or send your CV to info at theolddrum.com.